Well, thank you for joining me in prayer. And um, it's good that we can still pray together. We're going to spend our time this evening as it relates to the Word of God, walking through some of the principles uh, directly as it relates to what is going on. I've had some questions of late. Uh, no doubt anyone who listens to um, certain Christian materials and whatnot, uh, there, there's any number of elements out there right now of, of, of prophetic wondering as it relates to how these elements of, of society might play into the broader spectrum of prophecy, uh, might play into the principles of the Word of God. And, and what I'd like to do is walk through um, what, what we can't find and then some other elements of perhaps what we can find in the Word of God um, in order to give us a, a focus on what we can do in this time. Uh, in some ways, the, the elements that, that we are experiencing might be described as apocalyptic. Uh, we, we see a worldwide event, and because of the nature of communication today, the very kind of communication that you and I are taking advantage of this evening, uh, there's a unique capacity for us to understand what's happening all around the world. This is not the first time by any means there has been a worldwide uh, scourge of sorts, whether we're talking about um, the various um, um, pandemic elements of the last several decades, H1N1, swine flu, whatever, all of those, bird flu, all of those things, or um, whether we're talking about the, the Spanish flu or, or going all the way back to the Black Plague and such, there have been any number of times where we have seen a worldwide impact due to some nature or some element of, of illness and yet, um, while these elements, you could say, are in that sense apocalyptic, where we see a glimmer, where we see a shadow of something that is to come, uh, we certainly do not see in this time anything uh, directly that we could pull from Scripture. Uh, there was a conversation the other day, uh, someone mentioning various elements of, of um, persecution, and, and we, we don't see in this crisis persecution. We see uh, churches closing their doors, but it's not because the government is telling the churches they can't meet. It's because the government is telling everyone that they can't meet businesses on top of uh, churches and everything else. Uh, so there, there is this element, uh, just like with anything else, where we in our Christian circles can uh, get a little bit um, nervous, and through that, that nervousness we can uh, have a tendency or a temptation to overreact and yet we need to be careful not to do so. And, and the reason being, not just because an overreaction doesn't help anybody, um, but because an overreaction, um, not, not only does it not help us or, or it will not help you, but an overreaction biblically, I'm saying here, um, is not going to help us reach out to others either. So what can we learn? That's the question. What can we learn from our our experiences from from the things that we have seen over the last little while from the trends what principles can we draw out that can help us gain a, a, a perspective anchor ourselves in the truths of God's Word and so find the means by which to not just settle our own hearts but then take these things and carry them forward unto others and the first place that I would like us to go as we seek to understand is Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27. That's Matthew 7, and we'll start in verse 24. I'll give you a moment to turn there, and as you do, uh, as, as you're turning there, we're right at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
So Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with that uh, very well-known uh, um, exhortations from the Scriptures as it relates to the blessings, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, uh, blessed are, excuse me, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That what we often call the Beatitudes. And then Jesus goes on to speak of various elements of offense, various elements of, of obedience, various elements of righteousness, various elements of faith, various elements of practice. And right at the end of Matthew chapter 7, which we would call the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we find Jesus uh, speak of fruit. And he says, and he warns in verse 15 about false prophets, saying that they do not bear the fruit of righteousness. And and a good tree cannot bear evil fruit, and, a, and an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. And he says in verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And then verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So we have this, this statement of recognition that, that it is not those who, who take the name of the Lord in some sense or even operate under his explicit power that are those that will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those who are his children, those who, as we, we see as we, we continue through the revelation of the gospel, those who have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. And so Jesus gave all of these exhortations, and then he said this in verse 24, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So Jesus speaks here of hearing. And this is certainly not the only parable that Jesus gives in the New Testament as it relates to hearing. We know Matthew 13 has the parable of the seeds and the sower, and that is also an exhortation unto hearing, perhaps in some ways a more nuanced exhortation, whereas Jesus gives two options here, the rock and the sand. Uh, in Matthew 13, there, there are multiple options as it relates to those, but it still ends up coming to the same idea that in the one case you have the foundation that stands, and in the other case you have um, the various other ways in which the word is stolen or, or the word crumbles. And what, what, one of the first principles that we see from this time, one of the first principles that we can draw from the fact um, that the shelves are empty uh, as it relates to um, you know, toilet paper and, and all of those necessities, one of the first things that we can draw uh, from the elements of fear that we, that we are experiencing uh, in our friends and in our neighbors and in our acquaintances, uh, one of the first things that we can draw from all of this is that the world rests on a very, very shaky foundation. That the world system is built on sand. And this is something that has become very apparent in the last several weeks. And it's something that we've known for a while. We have seen how 
society has shifted to where the vast majority in our society have a God other than the true and living God, uh, found their lives on something other than biblical truths. Now, we could say um, anecdotally that for the for forever, the vast majority in society have, have had their foundation on something other than God, but something that has become uh, very prevalent, specifically in the last uh, 20 to 30 years, is just how evident, and we might probably back that up in some senses to 50, 60 years, it has become excessively evident that the society in which we live, and really the world at large, but by and large, um, is, is built upon a foundation uh, that, is, that is outside of Judeo-Christian values. Um, the bastions of Judeo-Christian values found in Europe, uh, that really ended at World War II, and it's been a steady decline ever since. And then, of course, the the values in the United States, we could say probably ended about the time of the sexual revolution of the 60s and has been on a steady decline ever since. And when you have an instance such as this one, where we have a global fear, a global crisis, um, though when we actually look at the statistics, um, we, we don't see necessarily uh, a tremendous amount of, uh, of we're not even at a million infections worldwide yet, uh, as far as reported infections and such, and yet the dramatic and drastic uh, amount of, or at least as of yesterday, it wasn't a million, who knows what it is today, but the drastic uh, um, actions being taken around the world and the way people are reacting shows that in, in so many ways, stability was their God. In so many ways, their confidence in, in the routine was their God. In so many ways, um, governments are, are reflected as being their God, that they are trusting in so many things, and all of the things that they're trusting in are, are, are not sufficient. Uh, they're not sufficient to give them peace. They're not sufficient to give them information. Um, people are trusting in government. The governments have been very poor at giving people the information necessary. Uh, the media has been very poor at spreading that information in a way that people can understand. Um, people don't know what's going on, and so they are, they, are, they are crippled by fear. They live in fear. There is no peace. There is no expectation. There is no hope. And one of the things that we see from this particularly is that the many, many foundations other than God upon which this world has been built, they, they are foundations of sand. And they are thus, in this time, uh, they are crumbling. And this is an important lesson. It's an important lesson for us to observe. It's an important lesson for us to understand. And it's an important, um, it's an important element for us to take our own inventory of in our own lives. How are we doing? Has this crisis exposed our flaws in our own foundation as it relates to what we have built ourselves upon? Uh, to what degree have we built our peace? To what degree have we built our confidence? To what degree have we built our expectation upon things which are fleeting, upon things which can go away? Maybe I have built my foundation upon that 401k, um, which is not worth today anything what, like what it was worth just a few weeks ago. Maybe my foundation was built upon these expectations of stability. Maybe my, my, my foundation was built upon um, the expectations of, of safety, and while there's any number of elements of safety which we 
have been able to enjoy here in the United States, particularly as it relates to our military and as it relates to this and that, um, this is a, a, a crisis that will, will poke and prod at your feelings of security because this is a unseen enemy. This is a, an enemy that you can't just lock your doors uh, to keep out, although I guess uh, in our society we're certainly trying to do so. But it's not just going to go away, right? We can't just lock our door for two weeks and then come out and say, okay, the thing is dissipated. It's never coming back. And so the first thing, the first principle that we can really draw from this, and most of these principles are not going to necessarily be apocalyptic. They're not going to be prophetic in that sense. Uh, but the first one is very practical, that we are seeing the foundation upon which the world is built, and we are seeing its insufficiency, and that should not surprise us, but it should also help us to understand what people are going through and, and give us the means by which to reach out to them in a more effective way. Point number two. First, we, saw, we see that the, that the world's foundation is built on sand. The next thing that I want to draw you to is to remind you toward the general promises of apostasy and remind you that they're looming. A little while ago uh, in our First Timothy series, I preached on First Timothy chapter 4, and in First Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5, the Bible says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commend, uh, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving from them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So we talked about that, and at the time we recognized the various ways in which this particular um, prophetic element, the Spirit speaking expressly about the latter times, about those departing from the faith, we can see how those things are developing. We combine this with 2 Timothy 3, which I'll be preaching on um, not too far from now, once we're able to get back to our normal sermon schedule. And in First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, the Bible says this, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those things that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And it goes on to speak about those who are ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. In these two passages, if we want to talk about um, looking for signs, if we want to talk about what are the signs of, of the Lord's coming, if we want to talk about those expectations, may I just encourage you to, to be looking significantly more towards these things than to be looking toward um, the, the kinds of signs that would come from a, a, uh, a pandemic of sorts. May I encourage you to be looking for these signs of the time, and certainly these things have always been around, but if we want to talk about how it is we know that there is a looming apostasy, how it is we know what is coming as far as these things are concerned, it is these passages that are really giving us 
um, the, the, the deeper understanding of these things. We'll talk about um, this more uh, by, by way of analogy in, in a little bit. But these sorts of things, when we, when we see the, the push within the, the, what, we, what we'd right now call the radical uh, agenda of some to uh, completely remove meat as, as 1 Timothy um, chapter 4 warns us about, as we see the breakdown, the complete breakdown of truth, not biblical truth, but just of the concept of truth in our society, and we see all of these characteristics bubble up to the top, men being lovers of their own selves and covetous and boasters and proud, when rebellion is elevated in our society as it is, uh, so that you cannot see very many uh, cartoons where they do not uh, show children um, rebelling against their parents, and then, generally speaking, ending up being right about their rebellion, their parents being wrong, their parents ending up with egg on their face, the children end up being elevated, and this push, this, this love for rebellion in our society, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, uh, we see that uh, today as it relates to the various elements of sexuality within our culture, truce breakers and false accusers, um, whether we want to talk about the Believe All Women movement or whatever it might be, um, the, the various elements of this are not just in the fringes of our society right now, but they are being pushed. They are being pushed with a fervency. They are being pushed with an incredible amount of zeal. And it is this that we can look to and say through these characteristics, things are starting to heat up. These are the signs that I see that things are starting to heat up. Not necessarily that, that a bunch of people around the world are getting sick, but that these signs are, are starting to become established and rooted in our society. We add to this one thing that we, we do see from this pandemic uh, that we, we find formulating, and it is interesting because what we see is, is that there is a global response. There's a global response going on. And this can go, of course, one of two ways, and we don't know which way it's going to go yet. But one of the ways that this can go is that people will realize that, there, that borders might be a good idea, that you can't just have open borders, because if you have open borders, then things can flow in and out unencumbered. But, but most likely, as we look at the world around us, that's not necessarily how this, this will go. Most likely, as we see a coalescing of the world, around fighting this similar thing, I would not be surprised to start hearing calls for deeper um, ties between various organizations and governments around the world in order to bring this together uh, so that there can be a faster response in the future to such things uh, through preparation. And so we do see here the shadows of what we would call globalization. We see here the shadows of of this idea, which of course always leads toward that, that prophetic promise of a unified world government. Now, not necessarily a one world government, as when we get to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, we find Antichrist's coalition, then we find the kings of the east, and then we find the king of the north. And so we're never actually talking about a one world government as um, many people would speak about it, but definitely this idea of a worldwide community, and you can start to see how some of these things in a time like this, with communication being as it is, could begin to coalesce. And so as we look toward what this crisis can 
reveal to us and how we can frame our minds about this. These are the things that we're looking for. We're wondering what's happening next as it relates to those elements of globalization, as it relates to um, the crisis. One of the things that I have found fascinating about this time is just how very unprepared people are in the world for emergencies. It's even uh, indicative of the fact that the, one, that, that, that the biggest thing initially that was off of the shelves was toilet paper. Um, probably not number one on my list when I'm looking for a crisis, uh, you know, so how to avert a crisis. Toilet paper is something that you can replace quite easily, whereas uh, there are any number of other things, particularly non-perishables, um, that would be a, a lot more important. They were pulling bottled waters off the shelves. This is not necessarily um, a time where, where that would be uh, profitable. And so people, because their foundation is built upon the sand, in absence of something to do, they just feel like they have to do something, right? And one could very easily understand with the recommendations of governments and world leaders how uh, something like this, um, how, how manipulation and lies could bring about a, a, a lot of, of changes in a society on a very quick scale. So we do see those things. Now, none of that is happening right now. Uh, as I said, the, they're not shutting down churches. They're shutting down the economy. They're shutting down everything. Now, if they get things started again and they say everything can start up but churches, then we've got a problem. But as of now, we're not seeing anything like that. Nor are we necessarily seeing manipulation on a, on a vast scale, as far as we know, um, that's going to lead toward anything uh, damaging. But, but we can see the shadows of those things. One of the other things that we need to recognize within this is, uh, as is not, um, not uncommon at this point, uh, Christians are fast becoming odious to the world. Uh, there was an op-ed put out in the New York Times on March 27th, just two days ago. Um, you probably read about it if you follow any Christian news sources by a woman named Kristen Stewart, a New York Times op-ed effectively blaming evangelical Christians for this because we are, in her words, anti-science and anti-reason. And much of the reason why uh, this anti-science, anti-reason kick is being placed at the feet of Christians is because of our general resistance on theological grounds to um, the climate change, the, the, the eco-fascism uh, found in the climate change mu movement um, to the uh, religious devotion of evolution and atheism within the higher education system. And then even as we talked about before, our, um, our general uh, loyalty to nationalism and our uh, extreme hesitancy as it relates to various elements of globalism do uh, by and large to what we understand from scriptures as it relates to the direction in which the world is going. And so for all of these issues, uh, as well as even as we talked about the, the vegetarian vegan wing of things as well and the cruelty to animals and the fact that Christians recognize that animals and humans are not on the same level and we do not put them on the same level and we do not regard them as the same level because the Bible has told us that in God, that in mankind God has placed his own image, something that he has not done to the other animals. And so we have all of these reasons why uh, the, the Christians are being called anti-science and anti-reason and such. And um, the, the idea of um, 
Christians being blamed for this pandemic is kind of crazy, but once again, um, not something that is to be unexpected or unheard of, as a matter of fact. Um, in many ways, we could trace this, uh, this all the way back to Nero, uh, who blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome as well. And uh, it is not uncommon for uh, Christians to have to face such scrutiny and such. Uh, as it relates to these things, I'm reminded of Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, uh, the disciples very um, proudly, in a sense, not necessarily in a sinful sense, but very proudly desire to show Jesus the temple. The Bible says in verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They were very proud of this temple that Herod had um, built and made grand for them. And so they build this, uh, the, the temple is built. It actually was continuing to be built um, until just a few years before its destruction in 70 AD. And um, as we talked about in our intertestamental period time. And Jesus said this in verse 2, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And we see uh, his prophecy here um, realized in 70 AD, but this spurred the disciples. This caused them to think. And so we find in, in verse 3 the fruit of their thoughtfulness in this regard. They say in verse 3, He sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, speaking of the destruction of the temple, and what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? So they were equating the temple being destroyed with Christ's coming and the end of the world, although we know from history now that those two things aren't uh, directly equated. So Jesus is going to answer the various elements of the question specifically about the end of the world. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So we see the beginning of sorrows here, and we don't know exactly what the timetable is for these things. Uh, those of you who have gone through my Revelation teaching know that we are premillennial, we are pre-tribulational, we believe in a rapture prior to the seven years um, that are the, the um, 70th week of, um, of uh, Daniel. I'm, I'm 69, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'm sorry, I just uh, wanted to make sure I was right there. Um, that The 70th week of Daniel, is, as far as the, the um, 70 weeks of Israel, we know that um, that last week there is, is the last seven years of this earth, and we generally hold to the view that we will be raptured prior to that 70th week, and I have a lot of teaching on this that you can certainly go back and reference if you have any questions as it relates to these things. Now Jesus is speaking here, and as we continue into the teaching, uh, he'll, um, he'll uh, reference in verse 15 the abomination of desolation. So that gives us a point of reference, and we know that that point of reference is halfway through that 70th week of Daniel, halfway through that final seven years of the, um, of the history of Israel. And we know that specifically because that's what Daniel chapter 9 uh, tells us is the case. Again, all of those things I have put together in other forms. So we have a reference point there, but before that, 
we don't have a lot of reference points for this and that's okay uh, without us getting into all of the ins and outs as to why it is we believe what we believe what we do know here is this that Jesus says that prior to him coming there will be many who say I am the Christ and will deceive many that there will be these things wars and rumors of wars now we've had wars in every generation since the beginning so that's not a surprise we've had pestilence and famines and earthquakes from the beginning although this speaks of them happening in diverse places some of the things which we have in fact seen over the past decade or so in various unique places um, around the world as well as the typical places but notice then verse 9 Jesus says then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because the because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold but he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come and then he speaks of the abomination of desolation now there are no doubt every element of this is found within that first three and a half years of what we'd often call the tribulation. No doubt that they are going to see those earthquakes and pestilences. No doubt there's going to be persecution. And notice it does say, however, that you will be persecuted for my name's sake. And so we're not talking about um, the general Jewish population being persecuted simply for being Jews, for being Orthodox Jews, but we are talking about a subset perhaps of the Jewish population within the tribulation, but there's no reason why we cannot broaden this out perhaps toward um, the, those last days as we regard um, the various elements of the scriptures here, uh, that there will be those who in the name of, will, will be persecuted in the name of Christ. And as the world coagulates around um, the various principles of, of uh, humanism, saying here in verse 12 because the because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold that as iniquity abounds that as humanism becomes the call of the day people will begin to lose their bearings on compassion on uh, understanding um, Friedrich Nietzsche would often talk about Christianity in disparaging terms because Christianity uh, was a source by which the weak were cared for and loved um, which is something which he thought was odious and that's specifically because he thought that they were a hindrance to mankind, to humanity, progressing in the way that it should go. We have uh, seen such sentiments even in this crisis where people have been talking about rationing and the various people who should uh, receive the rationing of care uh, if there were to be any, any folks. So much so that for the very sake of political ideologies, people are hoping that other people are going to die. And when we see that, when we see people in society rejoicing over other people's misfortunes simply because of political disagreements, we can recognize a society where iniquity is abounding and so the love of many is waxing cold. And as we put all of these things together, what we understand is that uh, if Paul is, is, is right, if Paul is right as it relates to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the nature and the progression of these last days, then as those things progress and as those things bubble up to the surface, as those things become prominent, as humanism takes its place in our society and becomes very prominent, uh, Christianity is going to very quickly be on the outside looking in in almost every conceivable way. 
And so once again, if you want to talk about the various signs as we see um, uh, human sexuality go in insane directions that we never would have thought possible, as we see the, the exploitation of children in our society in such dramatic ways, uh, the, the true abuse of our children, the sexual abuse of our children through uh, transition surgeries and all of these things, as we see the weak in our society be denigrated, as we see uh, those that are in most need of protection being ignored, as we see uh, the iniquity and rebellion become virtues in our society, as we see sexual perversion become a virtue in our society, uh, it is becoming apparent very quickly that Christianity is on the outside looking in, as it has been many times in history. And yet our, our culture is, is moving toward this end at a fairly rapid pace. And that brings us uh, to one last point before, before I take us into what does this mean for us this evening. And, and the final point, I, I imagine that in some senses, though uh, practical, this has uh, been a bit of a downer message, but let me remind you of this. I just mentioned it. This is not the first time in history where Christians have gone through hard times. This is not the first time in history where iniquity has, be, has abounded. You go back and you read about the Roman society, Greek society, a ancient Chinese society, and you'll find that many of these same perversions have been found before. So then, why are we, as we, as we, we come down the backside of the hill of Judeo-Christian values in our society, what, what was different in our society? Well, it, it was this time in the 1400s, 1500s this time of revival into the 1600s, and really in many ways all the way into the 1800s. This time where the Word of God was elevated, a, a time that brought society out of darkness, what we often will call the Dark Ages, and bring us into a time of revival. And revival is not out of the picture. Don't forget that. When we look at society around us and we say, wow, they have built their, their, their houses on sand and they're crumbling all around them and the sin in our culture is pervasive and people are, are doing their best even to, to try to make Christians the enemies in all of this and uh, they're rejoicing over, over the, the, uh, the harm and the destruction done either to religious people or to their political rivals and, and everything is so ugly right now. Our discourse is so ugly right now. And what could possibly be done to change that? Well, here's the thing. It's been done many times before. God's people have prayed. God's people have been faithful. God has raised up a man. God has raised up men to preach the word. Uh, the Spirit of God has moved in society. People have become receptive to the word of God. People get saved. People repent. People change. And society then changes. It's happened before. And don't lose sight of the fact that it could happen again. That as we see all of the shadows of what could be, and I encourage you, don't get caught up in all the apocalyptic stuff. Don't start looking for signs in the skies and these sorts of things. It's just, it's not profitable unto you. But here's what you can do. You can see the signs all around us. You can see the 1 Timothy chapter 4 signs, the 2 Timothy chapter 3 signs. You can see the Matthew 24 concepts and how they play out even today. You can see that, that, that Matthew 7 reality that the world has built uh, on this foundation of sand. And maybe, 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 just maybe, what we're actually going to experience is a society that 
people en masse recognize that everything that they've tried to build their lives upon has failed them. And they will run to the cross of Jesus Christ to receive that which they cannot receive in any other way. Peace, stability, assurance, joy. Maybe we need to be praying for that. We need to be looking for that. We need to be working toward that end. And that brings me to our application. I asked it a little bit earlier. Let me ask it again. What is your foundation? Maybe there's some listening under the sound of my voice this evening and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Perhaps you were here this morning and in your time this morning as, as we talked about the gospel, you recognized that, that you have not received the gospel, that you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that Jesus is, is not your Savior. You perhaps know that Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. You perhaps know that Jesus rose again the third day in victory over sin and death and hell. You perhaps know these things, but you've never come to the point where you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe this time has exposed your fear of death. Maybe you've lied in bed at night and you've said, what if I were to die? What, what would happen? Would I be okay? Where would I go? And you've been, you've been fearful over these very things. You don't have to be. First John tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. The Scriptures tell us we can know that we are in Christ. The Scriptures tell us that God gives us definitive signs that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling us and He's working inside of us, and that He gives us assurance of salvation through conviction, through teaching, through bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see those signs? Are you in the faith? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you built your house upon that firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then what about those other things? Maybe you are built upon that foundation that is Jesus Christ, but you've noticed in this time some cracks. Some cracks in, in, the, the, in the basement of your house. You've noticed some cracks along the walls because Within this time, you, you had gotten very comfortable and you were trusting in your health or you were trusting in your finances or you were trusting in your job or you were trusting in your friends or you were trusting in your parents or whatever it might be and you have found a situation where there have been fears that have cropped up in your heart and those fears are rooted in these unknowns and you're not comfortable and you're not happy and you're concerned because of the fears that are in your heart and you realize that there are some things in your life that, that though you have that, that foundation of Jesus Christ, there are some things in your life that you're not leaving at the throne. There are some things in your life that, that you have not been able to place with Jesus Christ alone. And so you're afraid. Well, can I encourage you to take those things and to place them at the feet of Jesus Christ? May I encourage you to allow Christ to be your comfort, to allow Christ to be your expectation, to allow Christ to be your provision. And don't be afraid. As we read from our missionary this evening in Psalm 91, that we can rest under His wings and we can find in Him our peace. There's a second point, though, I want to bring up. And that is, what should we be doing in this time? Okay, so you are, you're doing okay. 
you're trusting in the Lord, you know that, that the Lord is on your side, you will not be moved, then what? And that's the final element that we, we, we need to talk about. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul wrote of the last things. And he wrote this beginning in verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So Paul gives this uh, illustration here, and he says that, that this destruction will come upon them as a woman with child, as, as the travail of a woman with child. And I was pondering this verse in my own life the other day, because naturally my wife uh, is due this Wednesday. Uh, April 1st is her due date, so she's uh, within that final week of, of uh, pregnancy before the due date. Who knows when the baby's going to come, of course. But we are in that waiting stage. And when my wife goes into labor, it will become very obvious. And once my wife does go into labor, that labor is going to continue until baby's done, until baby's out, until things are complete. Uh, there is no, You can't just hit the pause button and say, okay, uh, we've been in labor for a few hours now. Sarah's tired, so let's just pause this, and we'll pick up the labor again in a little bit, and, and then we'll get back on it. It doesn't work that way, right? Once labor starts, labor starts. And, and it might be, you know, uh, it's a progression over time of, of getting more and more intense until the time where the baby comes. But once labor begins, labor continues until baby is out. Now, Paul here describes this element where everyone will say peace and safety, and then suddenly there will be destruction that will come upon them. That it will be as if it will be as if a woman with child, as the travail of a woman with child, where the labor will begin, and then over the course of, in this case, several years of time, uh, there will be a a a progression that will not cease of destruction of destruction of destruction until such time as all is brought to pass. Now, as you think about this with me, once labor begins, it doesn't stop. But there's a lot of evidences pre-labor that the baby is coming. Uh, first, my wife starts to get a little bigger and she gets a very rotund uh, belly because there's a baby in there and, she, and next thing you know, she looks like she's carrying a basketball and she is large. And then she'll start to feel those contractions. And they'll just be a few here and there at first. And those contractions is the body is prepping the baby for labor. And so there are any number of pre-labor pains. There are any number of pre-labor evidences that things are on their way. The things that we've talked about this evening, the various elements of 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, some of those various shadows from Matthew chapter 24, uh, the things that are going on in our society today, whether it be the political things, whether it be uh, the things surrounding this virus, all of these things are pre-labor pains. They are evidences of that which is to come. Now, whether or not it brings forth unto fruition this time, or whether there is a stopgap measure through a revival of sorts, we do not know. But what we do see is we see preparations on the global scale for that which is to come. Now, we don't ignore those, but we don't, cripple our, we don't allow ourselves to be crippled by them either. 
And so this is what Paul says. Paul talks about this and he says, you know, you know the times and the seasons. You know that the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. You know that, that there will be peace and safety and then sudden destruction will come upon them. You know that just as we know that. You see the signs just as we see the signs. They saw the signs in that day. They recognized the apostasies. But then notice what Paul says, and this is important. Keep this on your mind. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. See, we see the signs. We know what's coming. We're not in darkness. It's not going to overtake us in that sense. We know. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Look, if you see these things coming, if you see the pre-labor pains right now, see, my, my wife is... is going to be in labor here probably, Lord willing, within the next two weeks. She's normally kind of late, so we won't expect it too early, but my wife is going to be in labor sooner than later. So what have we done? We've gotten everything prepared. We are ready to go. We have everything ready so that when she goes into labor, we have everything that we need to be able to bring that process through to fruition. And we're going to do that, and it's important that we do that because we see the signs approaching. We're not in darkness. It will be sudden for the world. The world will say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. That's not how we see things. That's not us. We are not in darkness. We are not as those who, who will be overtaken as a thief. We need to be sober. We need to be watching. Verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And so we are to comfort ourselves. We are to edify ourselves in this reality that every day we get up and we put on the armor of God and we put on that breastplate of righteousness, and we put on that helmet, which is the hope of our salvation, and we know that we're going to be okay. And we know that though, though these things will come as a thief in the night to those who are not ready, to those who are not watching, to those who are asleep, to those who are, who, who are, are in the night, we are children of the day. We walk in the light of life. We know our Redeemer. As Paul said, Last week, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So rest in confidence. So live in confidence. So step out in confidence. So minister in confidence. The people around you are afraid. You don't have to be afraid. The people are around you. They don't know what's next. You can rest in confidence knowing that though you don't know what's next either, you know the one who does. And that confidence that joy, that expectation, that can not only see you through, but it can see you into the hearts and minds of others to bring the gospel to them. What are we doing with our time? How are we living in this time? Are you living in that confidence? You are not of the night, you are of the day. God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation. That is not for us. We see the signs. We know what's coming. Those pre-labor signs are there. So are we watching? Are we sober? Are we ready? Are we busy? Paul would go on to say, 
after calling us to comfort one another, which is what we're, what we're doing in our times at church. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, try it all, and only, only keep that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. This is our charge in these days. This is our charge when things are, are, are not as we would expect them to be. This is our charge in times of unsurety. This is our charge when we see the things out there that look as though they might be signs of the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we are troubled on every side, when we see um, Christians continuing to become enemies in our society, when we recognize that, that the foundation of the world is increasingly being built on that which is humanistic and has no bearing on Judeo-Christian values, as we see these things, we hope for a revival, but we watch and we be sober knowing that the day is at hand and we need to be prepared for it. So what do we do? We edify one another. We encourage one another. We carry our hope into the world around us. We uh, follow that which is good among one another. We rejoice in everything. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks for all things, knowing that this is the will of God. We, dis we, we don't quench the Spirit of God, that word literally meaning to extinguish it. We don't despise prophesying the, the, the foretelling of the Word of God. We prove all things and we hold fast to those things which, having proven them, are right and are good. We do these things as a testimony to others. We do these things making sure that we are occupying till Christ comes. Blessed is the servant who the Lord finds doing. So the question is, are you doing? Are you busy? I know right now you can't be real busy because we're under uh, various uh, levels of self-quarantine. But as we see these things coming, as you anticipate the ministry opportunities that will present, be presented to you as you find yourselves back in society, those of you that are working, those of you that are interacting, as you see these opportunities presenting yourself, are you taking them? Are you reflecting that confidence knowing that you are a child of the day, not a child of the night? Knowing that these things will not overtake you as a thief because we know what to expect. And then finally, as Paul said in verse 23, that the God of peace would sanctify us and that our whole spirit and soul and body would be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the God of peace ruling in your heart? Is the God of peace being exhibited in your life? Are we reflecting him to a lost and dying world in this time of uncertainty? May God help us to do so. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to be, to live as children of the light. May our lives reflect the confidence that we have in you. Not that we know anything more about what's going on around us than anyone else in the physical sense, the viral sense. 
but that we know from a broader perspective what to expect. And as we see the signs of the times, may it not cripple us, may it inspire us, exhort us unto greater elements, more fervent elements of godliness and sanctification. Help us to have our foundation not just unto salvation, but in sanctification built on that. Uh, may we have that right foundation. And may you be honored in our response. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If the Spirit of God has taken the various elements of the Word of God and applied them to your heart this evening, I'd encourage you to spend a few moments with Him and to work through these things. Don't just move on with your evening, but let's allow in the silence of these next few moments the Spirit of God to have the opportunity to continue to teach us these things and to apply them to our hearts. Amen. Well, it's been a good day today, and uh, it was fun getting to see so many of you after the morning service on Jitsi. Uh, we did have a little bit of time before the evening service as well on Jitsi, and that was nice. Of course, you all can feel free to continue the fellowship in, in the ways that you will all, all uh, uh, throughout the night after this point. Um, we will be back on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock where we'll do our typical teaching and very much looking forward to continuing our teaching there. And as always, if you have anything that you need to pass along to me, uh, do feel free to get in contact with me through my various modes of communication. And we'll uh, trust that throughout this week, the Lord will give you those opportunities that we would seek to be a light to others. And I uh, hope that you all stay well and safe, and may the Lord bless you. Thank you again for being a part of this evening. Good night.